Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. Uh, We have moved right into February, and so... In honor of February, we have decided to discuss a series that features a Cupid and fantasy romance because we love a theme. And so this week we are discussing Signs of Cupidity by Raven Kennedy. It's the first installment in the Heart Hassle series. And um, that series is something that we'll be discussing for the bulk of this month. So here we go. I'll pick up with our characters and then Vicki will take off with our plot. Does that sound better? It does. Great. Bitchin'. All right. So our main character is called ML. She is a Cupid that is supposed to exist in the veil and whose job it is to help people find love. She's described as having pastel pink hair and red feathered wings. We have the Jinfins. So Jinfins all have lion-like tufted tails, and they seem to take on like lion or cat-like features when they're fighting. And these characters right now, they're all beauty. They've been stranded on an island in the Fey realm for, not stranded, uh, cast out onto an island for the last five years in the Fey realm. Of the Jinfins, we have Ronak. So ML dubs Ronak as first uh, because he's the first man that she sees on her, on the island that they're on. Um, and thus the first man that she would kiss. Ronak is the grumpy, quiet, broody sort. And his special ability is strength. So he's super strong. He is like seven feet tall, has brown hair and black eyes that turn gold when he's ready to fight. And he is the leader of this Jinfin group, their Covey. So their groups are called Coveys. He is the leader of their Covey. Also part of the Covey is Silred. Um, ML dubs him second. So he would be the one that she kissed second. He is the sweet one. He is able to use music to manipulate people and their emotions and situations. He's described as having blonde hair, brown eyes, and he gives off friendly, calm vibes. And then we have Evert, who is dubbed third, and he has the ability to heal. He is flirty and mischievous, and he has like slightly bad boy vibes. He has black hair, stormy blue eyes, and sexy dimples. Of the High Fae, so the High Fae are described as, obviously, they're beautiful because, of course, they are. And they have pastel-colored skin in this world. We have Prince Elfar Silverlash. He is our bad guy. Uh, He seems to be a sex addict, and he cares nothing for his partner's pleasure, which makes him the worst, in my opinion. Uh, And we also have Lady Sora, who is his betrothed. She's described as having uh, lavender-colored skin, and it's really kind and sweet, and she deserves way better than this cheating prick of a prince. 
Vicky, do you want to take off with our plot? Yes, I do. <clears throat> so our book opens with uh, currently unnamed female lamenting choosing the afterlife career as a Cupid. She has to watch people fall in love without ever finding love herself. She is located in the Vale, which is an in-between area of the universe, and she cannot be seen or heard by those around her. She has no sense of touch, taste, or smell, and she can walk through doors. Because of this, she's a little bitter, and she begins to make some trouble for the couples around her, which ends up getting her called to see management. She's worried that she's in trouble and will get poofed out of existence. However, while management is not pleased with her antics, they decide to send her to the Fey realm to spread love there. She's excited about this because the Fey are known for having few inhibitions and it should be easy to make them fall in love. She arrives in the Fey realm and immediately does some sightseeing. The realm is made up of many floating islands and she comes across one with three very attractive males. She lingers there for a bit before deciding to move on to the palace. When she gets there, she finds out that the prince is getting engaged and she decides to make it her mission to make sure the prince and his betrothed fall in love and have a great marriage. Unfortunately, things do not go as planned. While the prince and future princess seem to be in love, the prince turns out to be a cheater. She is furious, especially when she witnesses the princess's heartbreak. One of her Cupid powers is that she can feel heartbreak and she hates it. She gets so angry at the prince that when she next sees him, which happens to me when he's having a threesome, she loses it. She starts shooting him full of arrows. Normally, this power cannot be felt, but due to the intensity and number of love arrows, the prince does feel it. He's able to direct his power to where the attack is coming from and knocks her out of the veil. She immediately has guards chasing her, but since she has no memory of how to walk or run, she ends up falling down some stairs. She decides to fly, but soon realizes that flying in the corporeal world is not as easy as in the veil, and she ends up crash landing on one of the floating islands. Before she can get her bearings, she is shot by an arrow. The island she landed on is not uninhabited. It is actually the island that she saw before with the three attractive males. Unfortunately, they are not as welcoming as she imagined them to be. When they grab her, some weird magic happens. They assume that she is there for some nefarious reasons, and one of them, they assume she is there for some nefarious reasons, and one of them labels her as a demon. While she is offended by being called a demon and denies it, she also refuses to tell them who and what she is out of pure stubbornness. She finds out that the three men are named Ronak, Evert, and Silred. She quickly realizes that Ronak is the rude one who shot her and is incredibly distrustful of her. Everett is flirty and does not really believe that she's a demon, and Silverid is the nice one. Despite Everett and Silverid not quite believing Ronak that she is out to sabotage them, she ends up tied to a tree. Everett and Silverid take pity on her when Ronak goes hunting, and they carry her into the cabin to take care of her. When she admits that she does not have a name, they decide to name her ML, based on the ML tattoo on her wrist, which marks her as a Cupid. As soon as Ronak comes back, he kicks ML out and calls a covey meeting. She decides to listen in. They, the three males make up what are called a covey. They were banished to the island for some reason, and they are set to participate in an event called the culling trials. The trials are the only way to get out of their banishment. The High Fae have been trying to throw them off for the past five years by sending people and other creatures to torment them. Ronak convinces the others that even though ML may not seem like she was sent by the High Fae, 
They should not let their guard down because it's better safe than sorry. So she ends up tied back up to the tree. Silver tied her up this time though, so she can pretty easily get out. She decides that she will use that time at night to practice flying so that she can escape the island. The next day though, she is woken up by a strange sound. There's a barrier around the island and for some reason it's coming down. When the males tell her that the high fae are arriving, probably to taunt them again, she freaks out and begs them to hide her. Surprisingly, surprisingly, Ronak agrees and tells her to hide in their outhouse. The high fae look around the island, threaten the covey a bunch, and go to leave. However, right before they leave, they notice the outhouse, and Amel has to make a decision. She either gets caught or hides in waste. She chooses to hide in waste, even though it's disgusting. When the high fae finally leave, she's pulled out of the pit by ever. Ronak immediately starts demanding answers, but Amel is not in the mood. She finds a waterfall and washes herself off for a long time, scrubbing with sand and leaves. Eventually, Everett and Silverd find her and tell her that she needs to come back. She declines. She does not want to put them in any danger, which she clearly is doing, so she will figure out how to live on the island until she can fly away. They go back and forth a bit, but it eventually ends up with her willingly walking back with them when they say they will feed her. Their walk back is interrupted by an attack of horrible beasts. The beasts attack and injure, Ever and injure Everett and Amel. Luckily, Ronak comes to save them from the beasts. Both Amel and Everett are badly injured, but Sillard and Ronak are able to save them. When Amel comes to, she decides to tell them everything. She explains how she is a Cupid, what her life was like for the past 50 years, and how the prince hit her with strange magic. They don't believe her, so she is forced to give a demonstration by using flirt touch and lust breath on Ronak. They all finally decide to trust her, and Ronak starts including her in their daily training. This means running, practicing flying, and doing obstacle courses to improve her strength. Emel hates it and looks for any reason to get out of it, but all of the males push her to be better, so she improves. One night, they decide to do a little something a little different and have a bonfire. She finds out even more about them. The race is called Genfin, and they normally take a mate. When she asks if they have a mate waiting for them, things get awkward. It turns out the reason they were banished was because Ronak wanted to choose a Genfin female in a higher standing, and Everett strongly disagreed. Everett tried to tell Ronak that the female was toying with them, but Ronak refused to listen. The female eventually cheated on the cubby with the prince. Ronak lost it and attacked the prince, getting them banished to the island. Digging up the past ends in Ronak and Everett getting in a fistfight that only ends when ML and Silred break them up. ML decides that there is a better way for them to find a truce. She convinces them to play a drinking game where they air their dirty laundry. While they all think the game is stupid, they do end up better off for it. There's still tension, but it is improved. They continue to focus on training for the calling. They don't talk much about what will happen to ML when they go to the calling, but Ronak finally brings it up. He points out that ML does not look like any high fae or any race of fae, and they'll need to do something about that. Her best shot is to find a fae who can glamour her. Ronak tells her that she will need to get one from Arachno on the island almost directly below theirs. This causes an uproar because she is known as being tricky, scary, and unstable. Sadly, there really is no other choice. After a few more days of training, it's time for Amel to set off and find Arachno. So what happens? Is Amel able to find Arachno and get her glamour, or do things go wrong? You'll have to listen or read the book to find out. Spoilers ahead. 
so I love this book. Marissa, was this this was your second read? Yeah, this is my second read. Okay. This was my I enjoyed this book too. Yeah. This was my third read. <laughs> so that's awesome. Nice. Yes. I really I enjoy this series so much. It's just so lighthearted and fun. It's just great. So it is really cute. Was this your you was this your first reverse harem? It was. And I think if this hadn't, if I hadn't read this as my first reverse harem, I don't know if I would have gotten into the genre at all. Um, because some of them can be, you know, pretty intense and stuff. And this was just perfect. The men were sweet, but some of them were kind of angsty. And then ML was really funny. And it was just like an easy kind of way to ease into it, I guess, especially because in this first mm -hmm. book, there's really nothing, nothing really happens between them. There's some flirting and there's, you know, a kiss and stuff like that. But overall, it's, it's very tame. Um, yeah. So there's no sex in this book. No. Reverse harems are so diverse. Mm -hmm. So I've read reverse harems where it's like, the characters are, I mean, we're having group sex in the first hundred pages. Mm -hmm. Sometimes sooner than that. And then there are other reverse harems where they're very long series and the characters don't actually have sex until the second, third book, maybe. Um, so I I think that's an interesting kind of way to tell, to tell stories like this because I think a lot of people read or like read that reverse harem and they think group sex, right? Because that was my first impression just in seeing those words. You can have stories like this where it's not so much about, and that's what's great about stories like that. Like the, I, I enjoy stories that feature a lot of scenes like that. But I also really like stories like this because I think that the characters have, like, you have more time to form that that sense of, like, intimacy. There's an actual development of the relationship between the characters. And we get that in books like this where it doesn't immediately go to, like, oh, we've got multiple male partners, group sex. Yep. And that's nice. It is. It's very nice um, for them to grow that bond. It weird. is. It's not like an instant love. I mean, I enjoy stories that have instant love sometimes, but I mean, I also enjoy stories like this where the characters, they have to, they have to develop They They have to learn more about her. It's not just like, I feel like a lot of times we see that instant connection in books where it's like, there's a mating bond that has to snap into place. And suddenly it's like, bam. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so Emel becomes tied to these characters. That's the thing that ends up keeping her corporeal, but it's not like a, oh, we're suddenly together type of situation. I mean, they shoot her with an arrow and tie her to a tree the first day. So mm -hmm. the one thing I wanted from this book that you don't get is that it's not multi-point of view. Yeah. And I would have loved that. I, lo I, I love multi-point of view. Um so kind of a bummer not to have that if you read so there's you can do each one separately but the um raven kennedy also put out like a like one of all group together and at the end of each of the books in that one there is like a little bonus chapter that's from one of the males point of view mm -hmm. um so you do get that kind of there but i would have loved especially to be in everett's head 
Everett and Ronax had. I would have yeah. loved to be in theirs for a little bit. I feel like we got spoiled with multi-point of view books because mm-hmm. uh, it seems like there was a period where we went through and like every book was multi-point of view. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. I don't know what it is about being in, especially it's, I mean, we, we basically always get the story from the female leads character. So I don't know what it is about being in the male character's head, but I don't know. I just, that perspective is nice to read. Mm-hmm. I agree. But even without that, I still adore this. Series. Oh yeah. It's still great. It's still super cute. Yeah. And Kennedy, she just creates such like an interesting world and puts like a twist on things. Um, so for example, ghosts come up in the first couple of chapters and Amel is saying how ghosts are just actually really stupid. They're all just clumsy and confused. So when people think that things are haunted, it's just ghosts like bumping into things and being confused. And I just love the idea of confused ghosts wandering around bumping into things and people mm-hmm. thinking oh my gosh it's haunted but it's just a bunch of really confused <laughs> confused bumbling idiots yeah 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 um i like i i feel like this is a pretty original story i i enjoy the the idea behind it i've not read another book that features a cupid as the main character this is the, I mean, uh, th- this book features like Faye, which we've read lots of books that feature Faye, but she introduced some, some creatures or beings that I've not ever read in books before. Cupid's being one of them. Jinfins. I've never heard of those before. I tried to, to look them up just to see if they were part of some other lore mythology. And all I got was like financial pages. <laughs> so I don't know if the author made those up, but I love the idea of it there's another creature that pulls that she pulls in it's called a sernu and i've never heard of that before either um so i i like that and that we're just getting new creatures um but i also like i like the idea behind a cupid who's fed up with trying to get people to love each other and they don't appreciate it and so she kind of sabotages them to get her revenge um it's it's different to me. That's original. I've never read something like that before. And I enjoy, it's always nice to read something that doesn't, it's not just like rehashing something that you've read a million times. Yeah. It's a very fresh, well, I mean, I don't know when this book came out, like I think 2018 or something like that, but it's a very fresh still like book you know she created a whole new species that we didn't even know about Mm -hmm. and she created pretty a pretty in-depth world for them too so like for cupids they have to report to management there's a love quota they have to meet um so yeah i like the powers that they're assigned to so they have like the flirt touches and the love kisses and the the love, not flirt, lust kisses. That's mm-hmm. it. And the love arrows. And so they have these tools that they have. And there's other cupids. And the punishment is that. So she runs into another cupid and he was punished by being sent to a troll world and watching trolls, I don't know, do the deed is disgusting. And they lay eggs immediately. So she's kind of developed this uh, entire sort of job or what I, I don't know, world. 
lore for these characters, which is cool. I mean, and it seems, I don't know, I kind of like that. I think it's funny that it's almost like kind of bureaucratic, I guess. So like there's the office and the the receptionist is like not happy. And they have like the number calling thing, like at the DMV where you have to go and pick a number and wait for them to call you. And I don't know. It's, it's, I enjoyed reading it um, and it having sort of that tone instead of it just being magic. Like they have rules and quotas, like you said. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. So ML is not the only like bitter Cupid out there. The person or the one that she runs into got punished because he had refused to give out any lust because if he couldn't get any, why should other people? Mm-hmm. And there are other people that were called there to be disciplined too. So clearly there's a flaw in the system. And she mentioned several times about making changes to mm-hmm. uh, like their job, I guess. Mm-hmm. So for example, because she mentions how lonely it is. She spent like 50 years not yeah. having contact with anyone. You can't touch anything. So having a partner, somebody to talk to would be would be good. I mean, it'd be really lonely. Your job is to spread Mm -hmm. happiness and love, but you have to spend all of your time alone. Like, I don't know. It just, so uh, let me see if I can relate this. I don't know that it would be, I feel like this is kind of what it's like as someone who was in a, a very long relationship and is no longer in that relationship. My feelings about happy couples immediately after were like, just so fed up (laughs) you know it's like I'm glad for you that you're happy but I'm also pissed off at you because you're so happy (laughs) so to me that's kind of like what Emel feels like like she it's gratifying when she's able to make love connections like that but at the same time she's still alone right she calls it a lose-lose scenario because either it she like cultivates this love and one of the people messes it up and they fall out of love and somebody's heartbroken and she has to feel that or it works, you know, she does a great job. And then these people fall in love and stay together and she doesn't get to. So she's sad. Yeah. You know? so. Yeah. I cannot. So this, this book opens with her trying to make a love connection for someone and she's pissed because it's a guy that she helped make a love connection with the night before. And he's at the same bar again. And it, it was just like a one night stand type of situation. And so she's mad because she put all the effort in and this guy's just a player. And the book starts with this line. Hey there, gorgeous. Did you sit on a pile of sugar because you have a sweet ass? Blah. Blah. It works. <laughs> Why does it work though? Why does it work? This is a terrible line. Yeah. If someone if a if another person said this to me and was dead serious, I'd be like, I'm gonna go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so even ML in this situation is like. I can't believe she's going to fall for this. The girl, she says, don't fall for it, girl. Yeah, it's it's a bad line. ML mentions that 
she's gotten in trouble before and she brings up how one time she made an entire town fall in love with themselves <laughs> so all like looking in the mirror a lot taking themselves out to dinner she said vibrator sales went through the roof i love that i love this me too and mel gets i wouldn't say banished she gets reassigned from the human realm to the fey realm and she thinks it's gonna be super cool and it's more entertaining i think than the human realm for her uh, but she she puts in a lot of effort to or she just gets very wrapped up in this romance between prince what's his name silver lash prince oh, elfar is that it elfar yeah elfar and lady sora she was really really wanting them to be successful she hardly had to do anything and she is so frustrated and disappointed when she finds out that the prince is cheating on Lady Sora. The prince is just cheating so much, like every single night. Like she mentions that he had like within two weeks, 15 different women. Yeah. Just a different woman every night. So it made me think, I was like, plus that's on top of Lady Sora. Right. right? Yeah. Is he a sex addict? Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Is he a sex addict or like a sociopath or like, what is this? Because that's excessive. It's a lot. A lot. Yeah. Is it? And then I wonder, is it just like an ego thing? Because she talks about how he like cites out uh, the, the women that he will be betting that night and he kind of makes head motions and hand motions to his guard to summon them or whatever but it's not i mean it doesn't even seem like it's i don't know i don't know if it's just like the sense of entitlement to these people people's bodies because he there's no romantic element there's like no foreplay there's no it's just the person is brought to their room or to his room and he like nails them against a door and it's over in four minutes and then the person is sent away mm -hmm. what is that weird yeah yeah because he's not good at sex no and that's really like he's really not good at sex like in every story that we've read featuring the fae they are highly sexual creatures like they are good at it mm-hmm it they are the they're the mythological creature to be having sex with if you're gonna do it they're good at it and this guy's bad he has zero regard for the female's pleasure and it's over in four minutes excuse you premature ejaculator like that's this is bad yeah by human standards and especially by face standards you think it would have gotten around so they do call him like the heartbreak prince that's mentioned yeah. but the fact that like you know he's also bad at it you think that would have gotten around too so maybe it does have this like power i'm sure it has a sense the power play too because oh yeah you can necessarily turn the prince down like that right yes yeah there's probably that element of he won't take no for an answer i would imagine that but also like how many people so if you got to have like sex with the prince 
like that uh, i think the fact that he has sex with so many people kind of takes away from like the value right but Mm -hmm. if it was like oh i got to have sex with the prince would you be like yeah and it was really bad or you'd be like yeah i had sex with the prince period full stop i feel because it's like because it's like i don't know it takes away some of the whatever perceived gossip value or whatever that has. It's like, yeah, I did it and it was bad. I feel like that would add to gossip. I would totally tell people that, especially if it was bad. I would totally, I would tell friends to be like, okay, so you know how like everyone calls the prince really good or something? I had sex with him and it was terrible. Like, why does he get all these names? It was awful. I don't know. I feel like I would. I just yeah. like- I don't know. I just feel like if it got around that you were telling people that the prince was bad at sex, that wouldn't have a good outcome for you. That's true. But maybe he would learn to be good at sex then. I doubt it. He's bad at it. He's an entitled prince. He has sex with 15 people in two weeks. Do you think he's going to learn to do it better? He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the feelings or the pleasure of the people he's having sex with. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he would change his behavior. I think he would kill the person who's saying he's bad at sex. Yeah. Or there, publicly shame them. That's true. They're lying. They're committing treason by talking badly about their prince. Yeah, but then, like, that's making a huge deal out of it because anyone who hasn't heard that he's bad at sex now knows like that seems like an overreaction be like okay so somebody says you're bad at sex so you're gonna try them for treason yeah then that's like i don't then that's like i don't know he's denying it way too much i don't know i just think i don't know this is all speculation none of this comes up in the book um <laughs> we're just speculating here um but i just don't think that if someone was out there talking about his bad dick skills they would be allowed to continue talking about his bad dick skills i think it's more like oh i had sex with the prince oh i had sex with the prince too and then that's it i could see them being like or just lying he was really good it lasted way longer than four minutes (laughs) i feel like that's a very specific time to give (laughs) (laughs) he's a piece of garbage and I hated him, but I did really love Emel's like fury when he's flirting with the two, whatever maids or whatever. And she's just like shooting one after the other love arrow at him. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Like, cause she's like screeching. Yeah. And she does it. She's like just screaming at repeatedly filling her quiver or her, her bow with an arrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he blasts her and she's a real girl. <laughs> yes. Could you imagine how weird the like sensation is? Like, it must have been like overdrive. Yes. Hyperdrive, whatever. For a Mel? Yes. Completely yeah. overwhelming. And I just, love I mean, she- mm-hmm. go ahead. I was going to say, I just love that she, like, stands up, realizes, can't walk, can't run, falls down some stairs, I've got wings, I'll fly, jumps, and falls. Yes. I mean, 
The force of gravity must just be absolutely wild to not have that for 50 years. And suddenly, oh, legs are hard. Yeah. At one point, she says, having a body is brutal. Yeah. I feel yeah. so. I feel so bad for because it does. It comes up. She's like, all that's happened to me since I had the body is like hurt. Everything yeah. hurts. I've never felt pain before today. And all I felt since I've gotten a body is pain. You know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's sad. Mm-hmm. I can't. There are so many, like everything that she experiences in her body is something she's experiencing for the first time. And I can't imagine how bizarre it must be to, to experience some of those sensations. Like, so she, she doesn't know the sensation of cold mm-hmm. until she's like hypothermic, basically. Um, hurt is another one. She realizes that she has to pee at some point. I can't imagine how strange it must feel must feel to need to have a bowel movement for the first time as an ad like that. It's just all of those sensations. It would be so overwhelming to your system. Yeah. Yeah. I love she's hungry at one point and her stomach growls and her first reaction is, oh my God, am I dying? <laughs> And one thing I really like that about this is that like Raven Kennedy is very consistent with this. I, there was no time where I was like, that's weird that she knows how to do that, but can't walk, you know, like she's mm-hmm. very consistent with, with it. She doesn't know anything and her yeah. reactions towards the first, like all of her firsts are great, you know, mm-hmm. like getting to eat, it cracks me up. Oh, yes. She loves eating. Oh, so something interesting about this world is that there are like floating islands, right? Mm-hmm. And everything's separated into that. And I thought that was interesting. I thought of um, there's an episode of Cowboy Bebop with these floating islands, as well as Castle in the Sky. It's a Studio Ghibli yeah. movie. I think, yeah, yeah. Made me think of those things. Yeah, I thought of the Kirby video game. Mm-hmm. Except when that. you like, yeah, when you you fall off the sides, you die. Mm-hmm. Um, which I imagine would be the case here if you couldn't fly. Um, so it made me think of Super Mario a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about. Let's talk about the gin fins. Um, so we have a covey. So the gin fins, which I mentioned earlier, I've never heard of before. So presumably they are made up creatures, which is fantastic. Uh, they exist in a covey. We have Ronak, Silred, and Evert. Uh, did you have a favorite? I'm a big fan of Evert. Um, so Ronak's the... He's the alpha, but Ever's pretty alpha too. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when ML is like jumping off of trees and stuff to try to learn how to fly. And he's like, don't do that. Like he's clearly very protective of her. Mm-hmm. And I love that, that like little bit of angst. And so when he sees her coming out of Ronak's room that one time and he gets really angry, like, what was she doing coming out of your room? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, his immediate thought is that Ronak in the head um sex with her yeah but I 
yes. he's funny and he's really flirty and he's just like a he's comic relief I like him yeah what about you I think I liked I think I liked Silred or Ronak best I liked Everett too he's just like a little bit too I don't know mischievous or like I don't know he keeps saying like I'm not the nice one I'm not the nice one I was like all right I believe you I want the nice one which is Silvered um he's just so sweet and kind and he does like a really good job in the caretaking role he helps to make sure that she's fed he calms her with the music when she needs it he's just like a nice buoy for her, I think, because she has experienced so much pain since having an actual physical body. I think that Silred is the one who takes into consideration the way that she actually like feels like he makes her clothes. For example, she's walking around in one of their shirts that's been kind of tied up and modified to make it work. And so he makes her a skirt and he makes her a top that ties so he's thinking about how is this going to work with the wings that he has and he makes her underwear which is very thoughtful how many guys uh, males I guess would think about that he's just very good at stepping into this caretaker role and I think with all of the bad things that have happened to her since developing since having a body that that's that's nice I like that for her that she's got someone who's um i don't know seems to be interested in more than just having sex with her and i know that everett wants more than just to have sex with her but a lot of his conversation with her goes back to innuendo mm-hmm. and we don't see I, you don't see that quite as much still red that's true and ronak i like just because he's like the most broken one i think <laughs> Because he feels so bad about everything. He's just the quiet, broody one. And she like hugs him and it freaks him out. And just, oh I want to hug him. I love that. How she freaks him out by hugging him. Yeah. And just like at one point, just like holding his hand. Just be like, nope, I'm talking to you. And he's just like freezes. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. They're all it- great. They are. They're all, I really like all of them. And what's different about, so we the, we covered another reverse harem about a month ago. We did with your fae queen. Um, and that features a reverse harem where all of the people are attracted to each other. Like the males are attracted to the males and the female and the females attract all of the males. And this is kind of different because we don't have that same sort of relationship between all of the males and the female the the men the males are not attracted to each other but they're all attracted to her mm-hmm. um and i like that i liked it in the winter fake queen when the men were attracted to each other and i like it in this one where they're not too because it's all about ml um it's just it's different so yeah I don't know um, what it is. I prefer that the men not have romantic relationships with each other, like outside of the female for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't know why. I like that they have, that they're really good friends, that they have their connections, you know, like emotional connections and everything too. But I don't know. I I don't, I don't know. I, I wonder why. Yeah. 
Um, I I don't have a preference. I like it both ways. Hmm. Okay. Um, the Jinfins have a tail. When I, I read books with with the characters that have tails, I automatically think of the Horde Kings of of Dakar, mm -hmm. uh, the Zoe Draven series. Yes, I I want to know more about this tale, right? Because they mm -hmm. do bring it up several times. Like she she mentions like petting Ronak's tail, and he's just he's horrified by it, and she's like, "Is okay. he horrified, well, or is it?" The horror of arousal. <laughs> he has a horrified expression on his face. So whenever he's yeah. horrified, he has quite a strange reaction. And he's just sort of like, what? Yeah. And um, she's like, that's fine. I'll just find another Genfin who will let me pet his tail. Yeah. And at one point she goes to Everett and either i don't think she grabs his tail does she grab his tail something but something comes up about his tail and he gets it he's like oh i'll tell you what's like the big deal about um genfin tails but you have to do this workout but then we never find out yeah no he like touches her wings or something though yeah like he touches he, her wings afterwards he yeah. touches her wings and she touches his tail and it's mm -hmm. this flirty moment, which makes me think there's some some type of pleasure or something related to that tail. I want to know yes. more. I don't know what it is, but I find tails extremely attractive and, and when they're incorporated into stories. Like, why? I don't know why. I'm more of a wing I feel person. like it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wings are nice, but, but I, I don't know. Tails, I have a weird thing about tails. Like they're gonna hold on to the because that's what happens in Zoe Draven's books. Like the guy or the uh, the alien because they're sci-fi romance will like hold on to the like it's like they're claiming them right. Yes. So they'll grab a hold of them with their tail. Yes. Yeah, I get it. Tails are cute. I I agree. I agree. I read. I mean, and tails can be helpful in the bedroom too. Mm hmm. One of the, I feel like one of Ruby Dixon's books had something with a tail like that. But do the Ice Planet Barbarians have a tail? You know, they, they do. They have a tail. The Ice Planet Barbarians have a tail. And they are fascinated by the human females because they don't have a tail. So they can have like anal penetration. Because otherwise the tail gets in the way. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> oh this is a weird conversation but whatever tails are cool I'm, a, I'm down for it i'm down for it i like them i would not turn it know. away yeah i wouldn't either especially if it was a furry tail like the jinfins they've got like a tufted lion tail mm -hmm. it definitely seems like something would be fun to like stroke or pet or something you know Mm -hmm. but it yeah i feel like it would make pants really complicated that's a good point so would wings so would most extra body parts yes i guess yeah um more about their bodies so everett has dimples right and ml mentions mm -hmm. them a lot 
And it makes me think of from Blood and Ash. Remember how mm. Hawk has dimples? Oh my gosh. I think we did a dimple count, didn't we? Yes. We, I think we did a word count on how many times dimples were used in both of those books. Yes. Or in all of those books. There was one, it was like an absurd, it was like 37 times the word dimples was used. Yes. And she brings it up a lot. She brings it up a lot too in this book. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny. She wants to, she says she wants to stick her tongue in his, like, in the holes of his dimples or something. What is that? I have never looked at a dimple and thought, I want to stick part of my mouth on that. I mean, they're fine. Yeah, I've not. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, how would you feel if you had a dimple and someone came up and just like licked part of your face? It'd be weird. I would that like- feel sexy to you? It's like, oh, I think you just licked my makeup off. But all right, I guess, <laughs> I guess that's the thing we're doing. I don't know. Oh, it'd be weird. I almost always, so I know that these are cheek dimples, but I almost always think when I see dimples, I think like chin dimples too. I'm like, who comes up and tongues a chin? Mm. I don't know. It just strikes me as odd. But we see that this is not the first time we've seen this obsession with like licking dimples. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Emil, the way that Emil interacts with the gin fins is absolutely hysterical to me. Like she kind of gives this impression as being like kind of ditzy right like that's just kind of she's just like kind of silly and funny and um she gives up but she's very clever the way that she tries to pit the jenkins against each other and she makes these hysterical comments about stirring the pot and she says i'll just be over with over here with my whisk uh making up something really not like she's uh, manipulating them which i think is really clever to try to improve her situation which is that she's been like tied up against a tree or it's not being treated the best but yeah i i agree she does give off a sort of ditzy vibe and in her like in her inner dialogue too she's kind of like that but it's just so her inner dialogue i think is just so it's like just this like long train of thought because mm-hmm. she's never really had anybody to talk to before um and so it just kind of goes off on all these tangents i think and then with being dizzy she doesn't she's clumsy and everything because she hasn't walked or done anything in a long time but yeah she is she's she's manipulative not in a bad way and kind of in a funny way she's manipulative um and then also she thinks almost when she realizes her powers are still working she almost immediately goes she's like i'll Mm -hmm. set up a love store and maybe i can bottle my like lust breaths and sell it Mm -hmm. that's a you know like clever this reminds me of that girl who was selling her farts on TikTok. <laughs> did you see that? Yes, I did. This woman, she had to go to the hospital because she she had a fart attack <laughs> and was having chest pain from trying to create so much gas to sell. <laughs> oh, my God. What? You know... <laughs> uh yeah packaging less breaths is certainly certainly better selling farts yeah um they also it's interesting point out she's always either like touching one of the gen fins or she's holding on to something she's always needing contact with something 
Mm-hmm. And I think that makes sense. She spent 50 years, well, like over 50 years, really, um, mm-hmm. not being able to touch. So yeah, of course you'd want to touch as much yeah, as possible. She's starved. She's starved for contact. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, the the itch. I love that. It is so hysterical the way that she aggressively scratches. Mm-hmm. I love she's like, I must have died just when this itch started to come up because she, could you? Oh my god, fifty years of not being able to scratch an itch. Mm-hmm. And yes, and then so when she gets to scratch it for the first time, the the way she describes it is very interesting. She says, "I tilt my head back in complete ecstasy and flutter my eyelids shut." Taken out of, you would Mm -hmm. not think that would ever be written about an itch. (laughs) But I mean, like, have you ever had a really bad itch, though? Yeah. And that feeling of like that itch being scratched. I mean, it's like borderline orgasmic. It does feel very good. Yes. But I would not have ever expected it to be written about this way in a book. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. I think that's a very relatable sensation. Having yes. an itch that you can't scratch and finally being able to, oof, mm-hmm. it's good. And Mel gets so excited about food. And I just find that extremely relatable. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine 50 years of watching people eat and then finally knowing what cheese sticks taste like? Oh, mm. I would never oh. stop eating. And she doesn't. She gets so excited about food. Um, and it's just, it is it is very relatable. I forget what she says something about. She says, I want to eat everything. Give me all the foods. Mm-hmm. From now on, it's food everywhere, all the time, every kind. I want to constantly stuff my face. Screw relationships. I'll make food my new love. I've clearly been misplacing all my fantasies on love and sex. I should have just focused on my pining on food this whole time. Yes. Oh, food is pretty great. Mm-hmm. I had a chocolate cake. So I didn't realize this, but the 27th was National Chocolate Cake Day. And I talked to my mom that day. and was like, I really just need some cake. Like it was not a good, I, d- I wasn't having, I don't know. Last week was just. Last week was a hard week or this week, I guess it was a hard week. Anyway, so I was like, I need some cake. And so I came home and my mom had asked my grandma to make me a chocolate cake and I ate probably a quarter of it. It was, it fed my soul. (laughs) That's great. It was so good. I mean, it just hit the spot. We've talked about her just being relatable in general, but so she mentions at one point, she's like, I'm a crier. God, why am I a cry? Like she doesn't want to be, but she is. But mm-hmm. I just find her, this is the way most people I think would react in situations like this. They would not, you know, we talk about like, so we have a lot of characters who they're just like, kind of, I don't want to say rough, but they're tough. You know, they're like, all right, I can do this. And we say, oh, we're cowards. We wouldn't do that. And in this, it's pretty much, this is probably how I'd react to everything. I mean, yeah, if I got shot with an arrow, I would probably cry. Yeah. And then if I was also like brutally attacked by a wolf monster type of thing and it like broke my ankle and ripped my skin off, I would, 
either be in shock or, or be crying in that situation too. So she, she does cry. I feel like it's a normal response to the situation. So, and I love that she's she doesn't want to exercise. There's no yeah, you know, she hates you know? running, which yes. is also relatable. Yes. I just, I love her because it's so true, I think, to life. Like, I mean, obviously it's a fantasy book. There's nobody in the veil or something, but this is just something that seems like on point for how the majority of people would react to these sort of things. And I love that. I love seeing that. But yeah, I love when she's, there's one point where Ronak wants her to do the obstacle course. Mm-hmm. And he calls Silverid over because he's like, I can't handle her anymore. And then Silverid's like, I can't handle it. Everett <laughs> needs to do it. Because she asked him, he's like, she's like, okay, imagine that I like broke my foot or something. Then you and I can go inside and just eat food and sit by the fire for the rest of the day. She's also really feisty. Um, you know, we said this. So when she gets shot with the arrow and so at some point Silverid comes and is like, goes to help her. And she tells him not to bother because she, um, she tells him, don't try and do the bare minimum to pacify your guilty conscience. Conscience. Wow. Um, which, I mean, she should definitely have had him take the arrow out. Not quite the hill to die on, but good point. So her indignity at being called a demon and them criticizing her wings and Ronak saying that her wings look like demon wings because they're red was hysterical, but also I loved it. And she says something like, "Your my wings are beautiful and you're not even worthy of looking at them. Yes, yes girl. Yes, you tell them. They're being dirt bags. Mm-hmm. Yes, I just I love her. Yeah, she's great. Mm-hmm. Um, we see her kind of working. So the the there's a culling that's coming. The gin fins are stuck on this island as punishment for Ronak attacking. I guess that's Prince. What is, his, what is his name again? Is it Elfar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for attacking Prince Elfar when he was having sex with their a future covey mate, basically, Delsheen, who is also a dirtbag. Um, and so that's why they've been banished to this island, because the prince couldn't outright kill them. Right. And so we see some of their covey dynamics ongoing, but we also see as um, as Amel spends more time with them her being able to kind of run interference and help them be a stronger covey by confronting their issues. And she does this by inventing this hysterical drinking game. Yes. So it's like, she says it like she has, she calls it a covey meeting she says, all right, we're going to play this drinking game. I'm going to say something that I'm mad about and something I feel bad about. And I'm going to drink. And if you feel the same way, then you're going to drink too. And I was thinking, I feel like this should be a game that's played at family gatherings because I don't know what yours are like, but mine are sometimes fraught with tension. Less so now that my familial dynamics have changed a little bit. But um, I just thought that this was a hysterical idea for her trying to bring them together i feel like this is a human this is a a human way to solve problems (laughs) 
It is. And I like that it works kind of halfway. Well, no, it does. Um, because she gets so Silred, obviously, I, he's just a sweetie. He he feels bad because they're all mad at each other. And Everett obviously has a lot more anger about them being stuck on this island for the last five years and Ronak not listening to his covey, which is, I mean, his val his reasons for being so upset are valid. But what I really love from this scene is the vulnerability that we get from Ronak. So he confesses in this game that he feels bad because he knows he made a mistake and he can't really do anything to atone for it because they've been banished. And so his being such a jerk is a result of him just doing the best he can to make sure that the rest of his cubby is trained well enough so that they can stay alive when they have to go through this culling so that they can get away from him if they want afterwards. I mean, he's just, he's very vulnerable in this confession and talking about his feelings. And so I love that from this scene because of ML's interference that he acknowledges the mistake that he made and he recognizes what he did was wrong. And he talks about it with his cubby mates because what he, so the Mel says this about him, Ronak is afraid of his feelings and being hugged. He's afraid of a girl. Um, and so for him to, to say these things is a big step. Yeah. They still have, you know, they still have tension and everything, but it does really help. I mean, yeah. The first, I mean, the first step towards reconciling these feelings that they have is going to be Ronak acknowledging his mistake. And he doesn't really apologize, but he does at least explain why he's such a butthead. He's just trying to do his, like, the, the best he feels like he can offer to them is keeping them alive. Mm-hmm. So that if they want to leave him, they can. Yes. This is one of the times where I really wish they had um, Kennedy had written a chapter from the um, one of the Jenfins point of view because they get really drunk and apparently ML like just goes I don't want to say goes crazy but like she gets really drunk and she acts really funny like she tells um, Silurid that she wants to like lick his eye, like eye creases or something like that yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is she like climbs Ronak like a tree or something like tries to climb him or something mm-hmm. like that it's great and I would have loved to see this like happening from one of the male's point of view so, so yeah. I think Ronak's point of view from that would have been hilarious mm-hmm. yeah she, she gets up singing trying to sing songs from the human world that she doesn't know the lyrics to mm-hmm. and I don't know why, but my, like, my brain went to, like, Britney Spears is toxic. I was like, I bet <laughs> that's what she's singing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a, a story from Ronette's perspective would it be, because I, I feel like we have a lot of, a, a good idea of like Ever- Everts and Silred's feelings. But again, because Ronak is the pretty quiet sort, we don't always have an idea. And I think, so initially he's very uh, standoffish. 
He doesn't like her. He thinks that she's going to get them killed. And I think when we start to see his feelings change for her is when he says, nope, you need to train. And that relates back to the statement that he makes in his confession about keeping them alive. I think that's when we start to see that he maybe has some feelings and he cares for her because outwardly he's like grumpy and I don't like you and don't hug me and don't call me Roro and we're not friends and but he cares about her enough to make her train. Mm-hmm. Well, at one point she says, okie dokie kitty cat. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yep. So part of Ronak trying to keep Amel alive uh, is this plan for her to find some type of glamour because she sticks out like he acknowledges she doesn't look like any other say her wings are different from all of the other wings she's not really skilled like she's better than she was when she got there but she's still pretty bumbling and so he comes up with this plan to get her a glamour so that she can at least try to fit in and that means going to the island of arachno And that would be a no for me. I would go to any other island. This is like a spider lady. I don't like it. She has a purple tongue and a face full of eyes and gray skin and a wall of webbing. And I just could not do it. Yeah. And then she like eats. So... Amel has to bring like a sack, not a sacrifice, a trade, something to trade. Mm-hmm. So she brings Jenfin hair along with banshee um, tongues. Uh, and she eats it. Yeah. Oh, it's just so icky. It's gross. Ugh. She talks about her purple tongue snaking out to eat the, the banshee tongues. Mm-hmm. The discussion. It's a no for me, dog. Yeah. It's a no. Then ML gets herself backed into a web. Mm-hmm. Which... Yes. And then as part of, so there's a person that was trapped in his, in this web. It was a character that, that we need to learn almost nothing about. His name is, uh, what is it? Is it Belarin? I thought he's it was like Belarin or something. Belarin. Yeah. Belarin. Um, and we learn almost nothing about him except that he was sent to this island for punishment, which suggests that we'll see him down the road. Um, no. Yeah. But while she's on this island, she, because she is distant from the Jenfins, she starts to lose her form. So her hands start to become invisible and she develops this really awful abdominal pain. And she learns from Arachno that it's because she's now tied to the Jenfins. They're her anchors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she returns to their island. And they're about to go off for the culling, which means that they'll fight for their lives and then be returned to their home if they survive. And because of that, she doesn't, she doesn't want to mess up their mating bond. So as part of their covey, 
Um, it's the three of them and a female genfin because the, the numbers for female genfins are low and reproducing is uh, difficult for them. And so it's a, like a three to one ratio here. And she doesn't want to mess up their chances of having a bond. So she decides not to tell them about the invisibility and the abdominal pain and the fact that they're the things that are keeping her anchored to her body. And I appreciate the sentiment, but I feel like that's kind of short-sighted. Yes. Um, it is. I understand her reasoning behind it, obviously. And I, she does, she is like, okay, well, once I get, once I get off this Island, you know, I'll figure something out to somehow do it. And she doesn't want to tell them. And it's so obvious that something's bothering her. Yeah. She doesn't eat. And they're all like, why aren't you eating? What's wrong? And she's like, no, I'm just not hungry. And Everett says, what do you say? He's like, that's that's the thing. You're always hungry. I wake up in the middle of the night and you're like a mouse going through our food store. It's like, what's going on? And so she has to come up with a reason to be upset. Um, yeah. But it's understandable because she has put all of this time into like watching them and hanging out with them. And she knows how important that this is for them to be able to go through the culling and um, hopefully find themselves a mate or stay together as a covey at the very least. Which by the way, can I say, I love the name covey. Like there's something about it that just sounds like sweet and cute and comfortable. Sounds cozy. Yeah. Yes. Cozy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I get her reasoning for choosing the, like for the plan that she does, but like, what's, what are you going to do long-term if you're in this much pain and you're only, I'm just only been gone from them for like a couple of hours. Who knows how long, how long they're going to be gone. She's not like strong enough to fly anywhere on this Island. There's no telling if they're actually going to be back. What's the plan? Seems short-sighted. I get that she's trying to protect them, but I don't, I don't think this is a well thought out plan. No, but if she tells them, like, it's, you know, she's got a point. They might choose not to take a mate and then they might hate her. I just, I don't know. What well, plan I feel could like she have thought of? Getting the cart for before the horse because they, they don't even know if they're going to live. What happens if they die? I feel like this, I don't know. It would either put more pressure on them to live to survive the culling trials or it wouldn't screw up their groove and they would die because they're afraid of whatever their connection is with her. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I just don't know what she, like, what do you do in that situation? Because telling them would have, like, could totally mess everything up. I mean, yeah, but she could start making a plan for how to get off the island after they're taken away for the culling trials. And they could probably help her with some of that because they at least know what's around. Yeah. I'm trying to remember how she does get off with them. Yeah, I don't remember. We'll have to find out in book two. Because this book ends on a cliffhanger. Of course, naturally. Yeah. All right. You want to do our quotes? Sure. Okay. 
So I picked, this is said by ML when uh, she's talking to Sillard. She says, being a star is not so different from being a Cupid. People wish and the stars try to grant, but even as the stars sacrifice themselves and fall, so many wishes are wasted, just as so much love is lost. And for a book that really, for the most part, is very lighthearted and stuff, this is a pretty serious moment and pretty, um, I guess, sentimental thing for Amel to say. I don't know if sentimental is the right word, but that was very loud. I just, I liked it. It's a reminder, you know, that um, people sometimes do take for granted love, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, we'll just end it there. Um, yeah, so what about you? Um, well, this is uh, super unserious by comparison. So, um, in a scene where Emel is flirting with Everts, uh, she um, she's seductively eating fruit in front of him, and then he uh, sucks fruit juice off of her hand, and she says, like internal monologue says, and my love lips just filled with lady lava, and I love that because it was hysterical. <laughs> I almost picked that too, but I saw you had it in here. So I was like, well, fine. Oh, it made me laugh. I just love that. So this is, I thought is super non-serious relative to the one that you chose. <laughs> it's a good balance. Yeah, there you go. It's a good balance. All righty. Well, that wraps up Signs of Cupidity by Raven Kennedy. Join us next week. We'll be discussing book two in the Heart Hassle series, which is called Bonds of Cupidity. We'll pick back up with the Mel and see what she's going to do about her problem with being invisible and anchored to Jenkins. So join us next week. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.